3: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns on your next order. Quince dot com slash style.
4: Hi, I'm Bob Hammond. Welcome aboard DeSari Parker.
5: Hello, oh, and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players. Brought to you by Bridge Partners and Friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion Bob Hammond about pacing yourself, drawing inferences, and the desire to compete. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you? Jocelyn, I'm great. How are you? I'm very excited about
1: today. Yes, yes, (laughs) me too. Go
5: on, tell everybody. Well, we have Bob
1: Hammond as our (laughs) guest this week. And Bob is just one of these people whose name is thrown out there as the epitome of bridge wisdom. Yes. He's like the guru to everybody. And
5: what Bob says is, it's basically, that's it. It's the word. I know. And so many of our guests have just thrown his name in there as the great Bob Hammond. The great Bob Hammond says this. The great Bob Hammond did that. And now we have the great Bob Hammond on our show. I know. It's it's a treat. And uh, we are very excited.
1: Very excited. And Bob definitely seems to have the whole visualization thing down pat. He always knows what's going on. In fact, I read something in the Bridge Bulletin where a player, less experienced, got the opportunity to play with Bob and was asking him how to know which signal to give when how would Bob know if it was a count signal or an attitude signal or a suit preference signal? Bob said, don't worry, I'll know.
5: (laughs) (laughs) It just seems like the guy is just completely
1: in control.
5: He also has a reputation of being an absolute gentleman. And to that end, we had a letter quite recently from somebody who knows Bob. Would you like me to read it to you? Oh, yes, that's perfect. All right, so here we go. It's a short one. It's from Jill. And she says, So the first time I ever played a bridge tournament, 15 years ago, I was with my boyfriend. We sat down at the table and across from us was Bob Hammond and his son. I, of course, had no clue who he was. (laughs) 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 And at the end of the hand, I thought, you know, Bob, whatever it was you were trying to do, you did it wrong. And so (laughs) I started to tell him how poorly he played the hand and maybe he should have done this or that. She says, my boyfriend was giving me daggers. (laughs) So the boyfriend knew (laughs) that this was Bob. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. At the end of the conversation, Bob said, You know, I think you're right. And he chuckled. We walked away, and my boyfriend told me who it was I'd been speaking to. She says, I was so embarrassed afterwards. I went up and apologized to him. I told him I was new to the bridge world, and I was so, so sorry. He laughed, (laughs) and we have been friends ever since. And doesn't that just say it all? Doesn't it just say it all? Such a
1: gentleman. You know, I mean, undoubtedly. Whatever Bob was doing was absolutely correct. (laughs) (laughs) He probably just had, like, the worst luck on that board. But that is really funny. Yes. So that's a lesson. Like, when you're just starting out and you don't know what's what, maybe don't try to educate the opponents. (laughs) (laughs) Because you might be educating The great Bob Hammond himself. (laughs) (laughs) Support for Sorry Partner comes from Bridge with Larry Cohen, home of the Bridge Made Simple webinars at www.larryco.com for loads of videos, practice hands, and our favorites, the quizzes. Thanks, Larry.
5: Dawson, we've had a couple of letters. Would you like me to read them to you? Of course,
1: Catherine.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Okie dokie. Well, the first letter is from Tom. And this letter tickled me because it relates to a very recent discussion that we've had. So why don't I read it to you and (laughs) you'll see. It's called Local Duplicate Game Story, Defending Against Wrong Contract. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. At a local duplicate game, I played against a very good pair. One guy is a grand life master. The other has about 11,000 master points. I have an obvious lead against opponent's three-no-trump. Low from ace-ten, 10, five times of spades. Jack Little Little appears in dummy. Partner wins king of spades and returns a spade. I win the ace and clear the suit. And partner plays a heart on that trick partner then plays first to the next trick and i'm baffled until i then realize two things in that moment one we were defending a heart contract <laughs>
1: uh-oh
5: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not lead out of turn but in fact <laughs> <Right>. okay <laughs> oops <laughs> and two there was a reason for why declara was giving me the side eye <laughs> When the hand was over, Declara says to me, Do you often underlead an ace against a suit contract? Well, in fact, yes, we do. Yes, we do. I said, Sorry, up until the time my partner roughed, I thought I was defending three no trump. I unknowingly found the only way to beat four hearts, and we got top on the board. Then Tom says, I enjoy your podcast, and, and Tom writes to us from Boston. So, Tom, thank you very much. That's, that's very funny and um, quite timely because Jocelyn and I were recently talking about undeleting aces, but we were talking about doing it on purpose <laughs> 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 against a suit contract <laughs> and not so much against Reno Trump. But anyway, that's, that's a great story. Thank you so much for writing in. Jocelyn, I have another letter, and this is actually in direct response to our call out a few weeks ago about the moose.
1: We love the moose.
5: (laughs) This is from Alex in Sydney. And Alex says, hi, Catherine and Jocelyn. Thanks again for the podcast. I heard your comment in the Sandra Rinstead episode about a moose hand being a very big hand. I had not heard this one either. I suppose it's because in North America, a moose is the biggest beast you have. Or at least that was true when (laughs) bison were almost made extinct about 100 years ago. Bison have made a comeback now. Then he says, sometimes here in Australia, the ace of a suit is also referred to as the beast, which I did not know. But there we are. Also, in Australia, when dummy goes down and you love it, you might say to your partner after the hand that, quote, you had the nuts. Ooh, this is originally a poker term. He says, I looked it up on Wikipedia and he's pasted in the excerpt. A common and certainly apocryphal folk etymology is that the term originated from the historical poker games in the colonial West of America, where if a player bet everything he possessed, he would place the nuts of his wagon wheels on the table to ensure that should he lose, he wouldn't be able to flee and would have to make good on his bet. Since it would be expected that a player would only make such a bet when he had the best possible hand. The folklore says that this is how the best possible hand came to be known as the nuts. The nut. Yeah. There's also another explanation that it originated from the old English usage of nuts, meaning source of pleasure, presumably because a squirrel gets pleasure out of nuts. Huh. Then he says cheers from Alex. Thank you, Alex. Well, that's really interesting. I'm still curious if anyone's got any other explanations. Yeah, I can imagine
1: there could be a different explanation for the nuts. I don't know if we want to go there, but. (laughs) No, that's right. Let's not go there. But I do love, I love this lingo that develops around aspects of the game. I know, I know. Please bring it on because we just, we love this and we love, we love sharing these fun, these fun expressions.
5: Definitely, definitely. So if you
1: have a Bob Hammond story, or another fun bridge story, please send it in to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram, or you can send us a voice message. The links are in the show notes and on the website, along with some other good stuff.
5: So thanks. Coming up next, our interview with Bob Hammond.
1: American champion Bob Hammond was always fascinated with games. He started on board games and social card games like Canasta and Gin Rummy before graduating in high school to high-level competitive chess. His switch to bridge was serendipitous when a college friend called him needing a fourth. The rest, as they say, is history. We began by asking about his early preoccupation with competitive fun.
4: I started playing when I was maybe nine years old. My uh, parents played social cards of various rugby games, etc. And I would sit there and watch and wonder how I could get into the game. And I was fascinated with some board games. Parker Brothers had a game called Camelot, which was a hybrid between uh, checkers and chess. So that's... uh, the beginning, and uh, I got very intrigued with chess, starting at about age 10, and uh, pursued that fairly seriously for several years. And then one Saturday morning, I received a phone call, and one of my chess playing buddies said, do you play bridge? So I was not particularly respectful, and I said, well, it's kind of a wimps game, but I've seen the way you guys play hearts and chess and other games, so I can probably be you at Bridge, too.
5: <laughs> You've said that the two most important elements of the game are concentration and energy.
4: A hundred percent. Look, you have to have some knowledge, which can be acquired. A little bit of ability here and there doesn't hurt. But if you can't concentrate, if you get distracted, then... You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes anyway, but you will make fewer of them if you're thinking about what you're doing.
5: You've talked in the past about how people actually aren't as good at multitasking as they think that they are, and that the best way to approach a bridge game is to really limit the number of decisions you need to make for a hand.
4: Well, it's not so much limiting the decisions. It's just pay attention to what you're doing. And... That applies to all phases of life. You're not going to be very good at it if you don't focus on the business at hand. And fatigue creeps into the equation. I've seen some really, really good players wait in a tournament and quite often on the last hand go completely off the rails on something that if they reflected it on the next day, They'd say, well, did I really do that? And what happens is that if you're tired, you make more mistakes. And it's not a question of multitasking. Nobody multitasks very well. You can't do two things at once, but you can do one thing and switch to another, but that's a distraction.
0: Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify.
6: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
5: How do you bring your focus to bear on the hand in front of you?
4: I'm not quite sure what the exact process is, but I try not to think of uh, when I'm going to eat for dinner or <laughs> any other distraction, I say, okay, if I'd like a cup of coffee, well, should have got it between the last rounds and just get on with the ham.
5: But is this something you've always been able to do? Because like, just going back to your points about concentration and energy, how do you harness it?
4: Okay, let's talk about energy. Mm-hmm. Between the sessions. Mm-hmm. I don't go out for dinner. On a rare occasion, if I do go out for dinner, I don't have anything to drink. I usually go back to the room, relax, or take a short nap. When I uh, joined the Aces Bridge team, which was in January 1969, our first tournament was in Cleveland, and Ira Korn was financing the team, and the players were to meet at his house He had a converted garage, which had been, was served as their office, and they would work on their bridge. And these guys, many of them had never had a job, and uh, they uh, would show up at Ira's house at 9.30 in the morning, and by 11 o'clock, they were exhausted from the bridge work. So they'd immediately adjourn to somebody else's place who had a tennis court and a pool and backgammon sets, and they'd waste the rest of the day. So our team wasn't getting better very fast. So he hired Joe Mussolini as a coach. And Moose was invaluable. He was a pretty good bridge player. And he, he uh, let's say he had a good bullshit filter. So he hands us a memo before the tournament in Cleveland in March of '69. To all playing personnel. Dinner. No drinks. Get back to your room. After the evening session, maximum of two drinks. Be back in your room with no more than one visitor by 2 (laughs) (laughs) a.m. So at any rate, and Moose took charge, and the team started improving. Eric Kokish served the same role with the nickel team, but he was more in uh, what we'll call systems preparation and less on the intangibles.
1: (laughs) Energy conservation.
4: Energy conservation.
1: In terms of the paying attention, for me at least, and I think for other people possibly as well, There are so many things to be paying attention and thinking about. There is what was bid. There is what is being played and what is not being played and what wasn't bid. And then you have to think about the point count and where the points, where the missing points are. And the hand patterns and figuring out the the pattern the shape of the each of the unseen hands there is so much to be paying attention to it's kind of overwhelming it seems like there has to be a way of triage so that you can focus on what is most relevant in a particular situation and figuring out what the most salient information to be gathered is otherwise it's just so much
4: okay so you have to uh the starting point is if you're playing or defending you have to say what do i know about the hand and work from there and it's not easy it's a very hard game the best players make several mistakes a hand I suppose I've had a perfect hand or two, but most of the claimers. <laughs> I mean if you've got thirteen top tricks, the counting processes. Say oh. you've got seventeen. You can figure out that you've got thirteen pretty easily.
1: Yes. Those are those are easier.
4: Okay, so let me give you an example, which isn't all that relevant. So the problem is you've got an ace queen. And left-hand opponent has either been squeezed or not. And you've got a menace card. So they've either blanked a small card or they would blanked the king. So now the question is, who's got the king? So, wait in the hand, the last several tricks, there really isn't much to go by. But oddly enough, in trick one, there was something to go by. Because if right-hand opponent had the king they would have had a different problem at trick one when they won their opening lead. So now you've got that inference to go by. So you just go back and you put together a few inferences. You're not going to get them all right. But if you start getting a few of them right, one, it feels good, and two, be sure that you just didn't get lucky there actually was some basis for your decision.
1: In terms of your own game, is there a particular area that you have focused your attention mostly on developing or improving or...
4: At this stage, let's face it, I'm definitely on the back nine. And my uh, basic philosophy is to play as long as I can, as well as I can, and as hard as I can. And uh, try to uh, make a few opponents' lives a little more miserable. (laughs) And get them to wondering, uh, how the hell could I have lost to this bozo?
5: Clearly, you're a genius.
4: Well, I'll admit admit to it, but there's some evidence to the contrary.
5: (laughs) My question for you is this. Given your extreme skill and facility for the game, How is it that you do not get impatient with players who turn up to your table and effectively don't know what they're doing, which must be just about everybody from your point of view?
4: Well, I will digress to a uh, discussion I had uh, many years ago. So I was having lunch with two expert bridge players, and uh, we were discussing what kind of money bridge game we wanted to play in. And these two guys said, well, I'd really like another good player of the game so that I've got a little bit of an anchor. And I said, well, nonsense, guys. Give me the three worst players I can find and I'll take my chances.
5: (laughs) But in all seriousness, how is it that you still find a joy in the people around you and particularly in other bridge players when your skill level is just so beyond?
4: Well... Unfortunately, that's not always the case. But the point is that it's a competitive challenge, and I just, I like to compete. Because one thing about competition is that the uh, outcome is fairly clear-cut. You either win or you lose, and you uh, try to win.
1: What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you were playing bridge?
4: Okay, so... I'll give you two examples. Playing a tournament in Coronado, and I'm playing with Eddie Cantor. So uh, I had gone out for dinner in violation of most of my principles, and I'm back at the table. Now I'd eaten something, the dinner that didn't quite sit for me well, and maybe I had a little bit of the flu. So Cantor lays down dummy, me, and at that moment... The ailment gets the best of me, and I throw up on the table. And he said, I didn't think Demi was that bad.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
4: that was kind of amusing. <laughs> there was one time I was playing with Bobby Wolf. We're playing the last session on a Sunday night of the board of match team in Atlanta. And I uh, had a few kibitzers. So to sort of irritate the kibitzers, I would pick up my hand, I'd look at it, and I'd put it in my pocket. And then I'd bid. Okay. So at one point, Wolf's declare. So there was a football game going on in the bar, and I left the table with my hand in my pocket. Oh, dear. <laughs> so they're looking around for dummy. And finally somebody says, well, Hammond's probably got it. They ran out to the bar and said, Do you have that ba- missing a hand?
1: Oh my God.
4: <laughs> I produced a hand. I don't remember whether we lost the board or not. I don't believe we got penalized for. There isn't a section in the rule book saying penalty for having hand in pocket.
5: <laughs> <laughs> is there something that people would be surprised to know about you?
4: Probably but maybe not be prepared
1: to discuss it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well that's very intriguing. I read in the bridge bulletin the article from a couple years ago by Norman Beck, and there was something that really stuck with me, which was he said, Well, how how will you know what if it's suit preference or its attitude or its count and you just said don't worry i'll know i loved that answer and i have no doubt that 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 it was absolutely true but how could you be so sure that you would know what it was that norman would be asking you i guess i mean okay so uh (laughs)
4: The first question is, what information does he think I need? So you start from that. The other possibility is I was simply trying to shut him up and get on to the next <laughs> thing. I have two plaques over my desk. One of them says, I'll be nicer if you'll be smarter. <laughs> The other says being good and stupid doesn't count.
5: <laughs> Do you have a favorite convention or gadget that you like to play?
4: Okay. I'd say the, the most important thing is to know what you're playing, whatever that is. And second, if I'm talking about conventions, some defensive contentions are very useful. Wandy, take out doubles. Certainly, a uh, statement is a very useful convention, and sad adjuncts, Transfer bids are very useful conventions.
5: What about for you, though, personally, if you just had to pull one out of a hat and say, This is my favorite, which would it be?
4: I don't have a favorite, really. I think some with the, the style of play I use. I think flannery is very useful two diamonds showing, four spades, and five hearts, and a limited hand. And, uh, there are various adjuncts that are useful, but be careful what you're giving up.
5: And is there a particular one that you don't like?
4: Well, there are lots of them I don't <laughs> like. The one I really don't like is multi.
5: Do you mean multi-twos or do you mean multilandy?
4: Multi-twos. Why? Because it's there are many variations <laughs> of it and many variations of responding to it and The problem is there's some notion that you can properly prepare for a ream of conventions that the opponents may be playing. And if something requires a prepared defense, I would say it probably shouldn't be allowed. Simple as that. If the defense is fairly clear-cut and fairly easy and intuitive, then have at it. So that's the criteria. The idea is that I believe the game should be a game of logic, not a game of language.
5: I've noticed a lot of the experienced players, because they're so used to playing at such a high level, almost get a little bored, and they seem to enjoy playing some complicated conventions just to mix things up a bit.
4: It's not so much mixing it up. It's usually just refining the process and trying to do better. Of course, the problem is... Remembering what the latest agreement was. I mean there are only so many times you can play a two two fit at the sixth level.
1: What is the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given?
4: The best bridge advice is think about the problem in front of you and work on that problem. Don't worry on what you could have done earlier in the session or yesterday or If you're playing bridge, unless the building's on fire, other problems can usually be attended to after the session is over.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Bob, that's a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Well, thank you for putting up with me for close to an hour.
5: Oh, no, it's been marvelous. We loved it. Thanks so much.
1: It was terrific.
4: Goodbye. Thanks for listening and good luck.
5: And that's the show. Many thanks to Bob Hammond. Sorry Partner is produced by Katherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboi. Send your bridge stories
1: and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store, are in the show notes and on the website, along with some other good stuff. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice. Or we'll call the director. Until next
5: week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Bob says, think about the problem in front of you and work on that. Everything else can wait. (laughs) Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs)